0: All right, let's find a seat, and then we will, let's open in prayer as we uh, talk this morning about wise questioning, how we think about uh, talking with one another, how we communicate. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for another morning that you've um, given us life, given us breath. Uh, what a privilege that is, and uh, we acknowledge that this is stewardship to you. We pray today that we would be faithful as we rest well, as we hear your word well. I pray, God, that you would uh, open our ears, open our hearts to be able to hear your word, um, not just for the hearing of it, but for the doing of it. And I pray, God, that you would uh, help us as we understand you even better, that we would respond uh, appropriately and adequately in praise to you. And I pray that that overflows in the way in which we love and care for each other. So uh, may those things be so uh, to the praise of your glorious grace in Christ's name. Amen. So as we start this morning, I want to read a passage, and I want this passage to sort of sink in uh, to your heart and mind. We're going to be in Proverbs uh, 18 uh, quite a bit, but I want us to start with Proverbs 20 verse 5, and the topic this morning is wise questions and discerning listening. How do you, how do you know what you're listening to? How do you know how to pay attention to, to what's going on? Uh, The Bible says this in Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A man of understanding will draw it out. So what I want to do is to to describe a a bit of what it means to be an understanding person who can care for another person well and who can draw out those deep things in the heart of a person. And it's important for us to, to know that when we jump into to talking about skills in this way and, and very practical skills, um, it, having a relationship to this degree is not mechanical. Okay? It's it's not like, okay, let me learn a few questions that I can ask, and then we and then we have this whole soul <coughs> excuse me, this whole soul care thing sorted out. Uh, the skills are an overflow of your knowledge of God and your knowledge of people from the Word. And so I want to make that clear. And you can't replace that knowledge being grounded in the scriptures to, to even know what you're looking for if you ask proper questions. You, you have to have some sort of foundation of understanding. So we're not putting theology aside here. We're asking questions based on that theology that we know that helps us to understand a person well. So that's a really important text. Let's see if I can illustrate that for you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this illustration as we work through the morning. In a, in a way that I think is hopeful, so last week I gave you an illustration with my oldest son and a great parenting failure uh, this week. I decided to try and redeem myself and see if we could give you maybe a little bit more of a successful story about one of my children, uh, my third child. We were in seminary the second time first of all, i 'm not sure what that says about me um, that I would go to seminary twice and uh, so we were, we were in seminary the second time I was pursuing doctoral degree, and, and my, my four kids, we would typically walk around the seminary. So the seminary was sort of um, in, the, in the center of a square, and we would walk around that square pretty frequently, mostly, most afternoons. And this one, we were a little bit late getting to that walk, and so it was at dusk, it was quite dark, uh, but the moon was still out, quite bright. And as we were walking around, we, we were able to see enough where we were throwing a football, because um, that's just sort of, like, normal for us, I guess. <laughs> Nor- walking is just too boring, so we have to, like, spice it up a bit. And so we're throwing this football, and, and uh, Summer's pushing a stroller because we have a little a little one in tow. Ellie had been, I don't know, maybe two or so. Uh, and all of a sudden, just in the middle, out of nowhere, I mean, we're, we're focused on something radically different as we're walking and throwing the football, Is the moon was completely full. And uh, my third son... I don't know how old he was, five, six or so. He says, Dad, why is the moon following us? That's a great question. And in that moment, what I'm hearing is the way in which he's understanding life. Do you see what he's done at his age with the knowledge that he has, which is just seeing with his natural eyes, he's taking information that he's putting together, not not untrue things, but he's making meaning of it, and making meaning of it without all the true pieces of the puzzle, he begins to make false statements. So what he's trying to do is to paint this picture, this puzzle. He's trying to see and understand and make sense of life and how it flows, and he smashes that information together to come out with this idea that the moon somehow is following us now now that says a couple of things doesn't it immediately he thinks uh, the way that the bible describes us as sinful human beings and that we're the center of the universe and that as the center of the universe that somehow this thing that's out there bright and shining it was just out just for us and here we are walking around the school and this thing just happens to be so nice that it's it's following us, you know, so that we can throw the football, of course. But it's interesting to me that, that at that moment, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make sense of life and he's responding appropriately to what he, what he can understand. And so at that moment, like I, I get on a knee and I, I pause for a second, and like these are the moments that life is made of and that this is how life happens, more informal than formal. Okay, and, and so when you think about interaction with each other, it's not like, a okay, we're going into soul care mode, so we're going to ask some questions. It's like as life happens, as it unfolds, as you're in normal conversation, as, as life is going on and minutes rolling over into minute, that these kinds of moments happen. And so you pause. You see, part of the reason with, with our busyness that we miss moments like this is we don't pay attention to what, what people are saying or how they're responding in the busyness of our life, we, we cross one another in these ways. We, we don't slow down enough to pay attention to what's going on in each other's lives. And so you pause for a moment. We paused at that moment. And so as best as I could as, at, at a five-year-old level, I began to explain to him, but that was really funny. And it's really interesting that you would think that the moon is following us. No, 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 that, that we've been able to discover that the, the, we live on planet Earth. And that we're in this massive solar system. And it's tucked away real gently and nicely in, into such a place that the sun is the center of that, that universe and, and, or that solar system and here we are rolling around it on this earth and the moon is sort of rotating around the earth. And that actually the Bible says that all of these big things that God, God holds them in his hand. And see, when what I'm trying to do is just just gently listen to hear how he's interpreting life and then reinterpret that based on what we know. Hopefully helping him to see that we're not the center of the universe, that that God actually is holding all these things that seem so magnanimous to us in his hand. You see, that radically shifts the narrative, doesn't it? Now he sees himself not as the centerpiece of the universe, but now he's responsible to someone much greater and bigger than he could ever imagine. And this is a part of the way that we listen well, so as we listen, it's really important. I want you to turn to Proverbs 18. And as I'm describing Proverbs 18 and, and we're reading through it, <clears throat> what I want you to do is pay attention to several things. Is, uh, these are, I think, very helpful tips um, on how we listen, and what our aim should be in our listening. And it should motivate us in the ways in which we ask questions, the, the types of things that we're looking for when we have these types of conversations or when we're in conversation uh, with each other. Proverbs 18, first I'll give you the passage, James 1, 19 and 20. It says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The idea of being quick to listen, I think in that context is, I think it's a good principle overall. It's a principle that we see lots of places in scripture. In in that particular context, I think he's talking more about uh, making sure that we're listening to God. That, that we're quick to, to listen. We're not quick to speak, to give our opinions. We're, we're quick to hear what God has to say. We're not quick to interpret the things that we think are happening around us, but we're quick to listen to God Himself. <clears throat> Proverbs 18 says this He who separates himself seeks his own desire, he quarrels against all sound wisdom. It's a warning against isolation. Verse 2 A fool does not delight in understanding but only in revealing his own mind he speaks only for himself when a wicked man comes contempt also comes and with dishonor comes scorn verse 4 the words of a man's mouth are deep waters the fountain uh, are deep waters the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook there's a way in which we ask questions that we learn from what people think say and do behaviors are quite instructive because as we learn theologically Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 6 that uh, we are we bear fruit based on who we are and and what we do what we believe what we think what we treasure most it comes out of the person that we are on the inside I've said this before and I'll repeat this again it's a key concept when you understand how to interact with people that everything you think Everything you say and everything you do makes a statement about God. So for me to understand you and for you to understand me, what is it that, you, that the Bible teaches us to pay attention to? Not, not one of those things singularly, but the collection of how we live our life in the things that we say. This is a part of what Proverbs 18 is helping us to understand. Is that the things that we say come from somewhere and, and these words of our mouth are saying something about us because they're coming from somewhere. As Jesus would say in Matthew 15, 18, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks, right? Proverbs four twenty three, as we talked about last time, uh, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. So paying attention to the way in which we put information together, a principle about who we are as people is that um, the way in which we respond in life, in our attitudes, our actions, and our words. It, it tells a little bit about what we think and how we're putting information together. You see, we as, we as people are what Paul Tripp called revelation receivers. Revelation receivers. What that means is we are creating the image of God and that we weren't intended to be an entity unto ourselves, dependent from this one true God, that God is the only independent being and he created us to reflect him. That means in our dependence, we were intended to respond to what's given to us. And so as God makes the world, he gives us dominion over, and we are the steward to respond appropriately to everything that he gives. When you think about special revelation, this is exactly how we're intended to respond. As God reveals more of who he is, we respond appropriately to who we know him to be. But that's a, that's a part of our design. It doesn't just work with with what we see as God's revelation. It's a part of the design of of who we are, is that what we see with our natural eye, we begin to put together and make meaning of it and try to interpret. We try to understand something to such a degree where we respond. And oftentimes what happens is in in our lack of wisdom, in our lack of knowledge, we put pieces of the puzzle together as best we can and we often respond the way Will did by smashing the pieces of information that we have together with thousands of gaps. We try to make meaning of it. And then we try to respond to that reality as if that's true and not what's revealed in the Scripture. And how do we reveal those things? By the things that we say. So we have to pay attention. We ask questions in such a way to we want to hear what another person says. Proverbs 18 is a warning about how we hear. And that we pay attention to what comes out of a man's mouth because it's through listening to what a man says that we know what's truly in his what? His heart. And so as we we start to understand how to to interact with people, you ask questions. And and listen, here's the deal. Sometimes uh, we ask questions not because um, we really want to hear what someone else has to say. It just gives us a pause for us to think about what we want to say next. You know people like that? Where as they ask a question, they, they're really not interested in what you have to say. They're, they're waiting and they're biding time to gather their thoughts so that they can like insert what they want to say at that moment. So the purpose of asking questions and being able to have interaction with each other is, is truly to listen, to hear what's going on, to pay attention. Jesus did this quite frequently. This would be a great exercise for you is to as you read through the Gospels, Just listen to the way in which Jesus interacted with people. Pay attention to the way in which he he conversed with people. Think about the questions that he asked people. What information was Jesus really seeking when he was talking with people? It's really interesting to pay attention to that. And often Jesus asked what questions and not why questions. Now I'm not saying why questions are bad, but Jesus often asked what questions. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is trying to help the person to understand how they're evaluating their life. He's trying to help them to communicate what's most important to them at that particular moment. And then he would respond appropriately. He's trying to draw out the deep well of understanding in their heart. And how does that come out? Right? The way in which you draw that out is to hear a way a person speaks or to see and pay attention to the way the person speaks. Uh, has emotions and how they respond to situations in life. Now, I want to pause for a second, uh, and I want you to know this, and I mean this sincerely. Like, um, I've had to adapt some of this because I teach this often in a very formal sort of counseling setting, and that's very different than, than normal relationships that you and I would interact with. And, and here's what I want you to know this sincerely. If you talk to me, I'm not analyzing you, okay? All right? I'm not analyzing you, and nor should you be doing that to other people. This becomes sort of a normal flow of life as you as you see as you see from God's word how we uh, act, how we respond, how we interact. That this is insightful to us personally to pay attention to those things, right? Don't overanalyze it. God has given us the ability, as revelation receivers, to interact in a caring way. The most important thing that you, people always ask me this: Well, well, how can I be compassionate? I, I don't feel like when somebody tells their story that I could be. I, I'm, I'm being compassionate. I don't know how to do that well. It's like, is there some like, training that I can take that, that makes me more compassionate? And I, I, I respond, well, there's all kinds of empathy training, but it's probably not gonna be helpful. You're not gonna be genuinely empathetic, right? What, what really helps us to learn how to respond and listen to people with compassionate hearts is to the degree in which you yourself are conformed to the image of Christ. Because when you're conformed to the image of Christ, now it becomes something that's not mechanical. You truly, as Philippians 2, encourages us that we have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, and then we're given the ears of Christ to hear. And the way in which we see people is now through the lens of Christ, not through something that's self-serving. Because if you just try to take you and the things that you love and the self-serving nature that we have, naturally speaking, because of sin that's been imported to us and our own personal sin, we'll use that information in a way that's benef- beneficial to us. And we will start using people rather than caring for people. You see, the way in which we have true compassion is that work must be done first in you and that you are transformed to the image of of Christ. And as you're transformed to that image, the way now in which you see people radically changes. It's radically adjusted. Because now you see the way Jesus saw others. When you look upon them, you see them appropriately. And when it's appropriate for you to be moved with compassion, that's how you are moved toward them. Not for something that you can gain, but now in order to encourage, to edify, to build up, to correct if necessary. And you care for them well with a heart. Of compassion, Why? Because now you're seeing, you have the mind of Christ, you're seeing the way that Christ sees people. You have a, a grid of understanding about how people operate and that sort of thing. Let's continue on through Proverbs 18. I'll, I'll move down. There are some important passages, certainly there. Contrasting a, a fool and how a fool speaks, and you can pay attention to those things. I think it's really important. E- even go back into Proverbs 17, you'll see some helpful information relative to how we listen well. Get to Proverbs eighteen, thirteen. If I could give you one piece of advice and one warning, it would probably be Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Because what you're doing is you're trying to get small bits and pieces of information from a person and you're trying to give response without understanding what's truly going on. It's when we get sort of myopic, and we do this a lot, right, especially in our desire to be efficient. We, we need to move quickly. We need to have understanding of what's happening and then just move on. Now, That's not the way that Jesus operated, nor should it be the way that we operate. And there's constant warning that the things that you'll respond with will actually be foolish to that person. You'll contribute to their folly. So make sure that you're paying attention, that you're, you're hearing what they say truly, and you're getting a, a, a full-orbed picture of what's happening in a person's life before you start giving some sort of uh, intense counsel to the person. When I say counsel, I don't think of the term in a professional way as counseling. Our job is to help each other to see life and the world the way God sees life. And so to simply take his word and to offer counsel to one another, okay? Proverbs 18, 13, look at Proverbs 18, 15. I'll just read, he who gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and shame. Verse 14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Verse 15, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. We want to seek knowledge because it's by knowledge that we start to put together what reality truly is. But we have to have knowledge based on something. And this is the beauty of what Solomon has already set up for us in Proverbs 1, 7. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. So knowledge in and of itself as a separate entity leads you to interpret that knowledge in a way that's beneficial to you. Because remember, the way that we're born as sinners is we see through our sinful, selfish lens. But something radically changes now when when our ultimate goal is our eyes have been enlightened and we now fear the Lord and we see that knowledge differently. See, as we look out and we see data, we see that data differently. We interpret that data differently. Let's pretend for a second that we were in Colorado. I grew up in Florida, so Colorado is pretty majestic to me personally, okay? Because Florida is, let's just say it's um, not hilly, okay? And so you go to Colorado and it's amazing. And let's say that I was standing up there as a believer in the Lord, and I was standing on the top of you know, one of the majestic mountains, and there's an, there's an atheist up there. Are we seeing the same data? Are we seeing the same knowledge? Right? Yes. I'm, I'm looking over this mountain and the majesty of, in my opinion, what has been created. And what's my response? humility adoration praise honor because the way in which i see that is through the fear of the lord and what i do with that knowledge becomes radically different so we have to understand solomon is setting this up that when we're paying attention to the information that's given to us it matters the lens by which you see that information later he would tell us in proverbs nine ten, it's the fear of the lord that's the beginning of wisdom So not just helping us to put knowledge in its appropriate place, but now wisdom. How do we respond appropriately to it? How do I help a brother or a sister that's in need? Fearing the Lord first now helps me to understand the knowledge that I'm gaining through words that they say, through attitudes that they have, through desires and loves that they they want, that they're pursuing with their life. Those are the things that we're paying attention to. Notice that your ear is tuned to what your heart delights in. I mentioned that last week. Your ears are tuned. Think about it as in tuning a piano and the way in which it sounds. Your ears are tuned by a heart and mind that is given fully to Christ. That's the most important thing for you. You say, how can I be a better counselor? You yourself fight sin and and strive to live according to the wisdom of Scripture. Because then it, you fear the Lord and it changes the way that you see the things that you see. It's sort of like this. You guys like the Chiefs? Okay, that was really lame. Um, okay, so let's, let's say for a second, like you hear young guys like Mahomes when they first start. They, they talk about what it means to be a quarterback in the NFL. Okay? So I played quarterback in high school. All right, and there's no comparison to all of this. Okay, whatsoever at all. But when you have a kid who goes from quarterback in high school to quarterback in college, one of the things they say is something like this. The game is moving so fast. Okay, so there's some athletic people at least roaming around out there somewhere, okay? And the game is moving so fast, right? And then as they get further into college, like, okay, they're starting to get used to the pace and how to read defenses and how to see and how to pay attention, how to make decisions and so on and so forth. Then they move to the NFL, and what's the thing that they always say? The game is moving so fast. Information is coming at them so quickly that it's hard for them to interpret. It's easy for them to be deceived based on that information. That's sort of what it's like. As you're learning, as you're hearing information, you don't know what to do with that knowledge. As you grow in the fear of the Lord, what starts to happen is you begin to see life and value it the way that God values. And the things that you pay attention to in your own life and the lives of other people radically now starts to change because you see people the way God sees people. You value the things that God now values, right? You start to see them the way that Jesus sort of describes in Matthew chapter six. In the things in which we, verse 21, things in which we treasure. Or the things that he tells us we ought to seek. Or what emotions like anxiety actually mean. Is there telling us something about what we value and what we hope in and what we trust in? Now that's not a statement of opinion over and against some sort of modern worldly understanding of our anxiety. It's actually a statement of fact about who we are as people. And the way in which we were made is that the the way in which we believe, what we trust in particular moments says something about who we are, that we are called, the Bible says, to live by faith. And in any moment, even when we do righteous things, if we're not doing it with a heart of faith in who God is, the Bible says that that in and of itself is sin, and sin leads to destruction and devastation. So we have to begin to understand life the way that God describes life. How do we do this? I'm gonna run through this part Pretty briefly, because I want to get to the second part of our talk today, and and all I'm doing is setting up the last couple of sections, and we're not going to get to those final sections today. I'm setting that up for the next time that I'll teach in two weeks um, as we talk about uh, discerning these problems biblically. So at this point, we're just talking about how do we get the best data possible is we have to ask questions, and I'll just put it in two quick categories, and there are more categories that we we could talk about this. These are broad categories. The first is extensive extensive questions, okay. the types of questions that uh, cover a wide range of, of subjects, uh, ways to gain perspective. okay. Because no person acts in a vacuum. And that's why if you're ever dealing with somebody who's anxious, it's different than the thousand other people that you can meet who have anxious feelings or anxious thoughts. Now, there are, there's similarity in criteria. I mean, they're, they're both expressing some sort of fear. It can be debilitating to various degrees and that sort of thing. But the way in which that person got there is a radically different story than every other person. And so every single person is unique. The variabilities that got them to that place is radically different. So anxiety is not the way the world would wish. It's sort of a one-size-fits-all relative to treatment and that sort of thing. Or we try different things hoping that those one-size-fits-all treatments are going to work. Every single person that exhibits those types of emotions, debilitating as they may be, they they don't get to it in a vacuum. There's a story that brings that person to that particular moment or those um, series of moments in their life. And so I want to know different things about them. I want to know a little bit about their, their life history. Not that their life history determines who they are. Secular theorists would describe that um, uh, the past of a person actually determines what a person does. Take Sigmund Freud. Everything that happened in your childhood explains who you are and why you do the things you do today. That's hopeless. Okay, That's not a biblical explanation. Are they influential? Yes, but they're not determinative. That's a huge distinction. Okay, so we look at its influences and the way that we responded, either biblically or unbiblically, to our past history. But those, you are not at the mercy of those past experiences. Okay? And so the, the Bible makes those things clear, but I want to understand those things. I want to understand, if somebody's depressed, how are they sleeping well? Now, I'm not a medical physician, and neither are you. And you're not an expert on these things if you slept in a Holiday Inn last night, okay? You're not an expert if you read WebMD. Please don't do that. Like, go talk to some of the physicians in our church. Recommend that those people go talk to their own physicians. The, you, you look at those things not so that you can give that type of advice. You look at those things because those are influential and contribute to the whole of the person and what's happening. So you have to pay attention to, to what's going on. That's the extensive questions, I want to know what's going on in the surrounding world in this person's life at this moment because all those things are contributing factors. I wouldn't argue that they're determinative, but they are contributing factors. And so in order to understand the painting, you have to understand the shades, the degrees, the angle at which this person is dealing with this situation, and then intensive questions. And that's about the specific problem. So whatever the presenting issue is, somebody's dealing with, you know, some some particular problem intensive questions are simply asking questions about that particular thing how are they responding uh, what is it that they want out of this how are they what solutions are they seeking those types of things so intensive questions talking specifically about the problem that's at hand right now and listen i know we're all tender about stuff like this we're tender to ask questions and sometimes that's really awkward isn't it is there's you know somebody's going through something right that somebody a loved one just passed away or Maybe someone was diagnosed with some sort of illness. And it's all sort of tender because immediately in your head you're like, well, I don't want to make them feel worse, and I don't know what to say to them. And, and there is a sense at which a ministry of presence is very helpful. But, but a part of what we've been called to do is to engage with one another. And sometimes maybe the best thing that you can say is, man, this situation is it's really bad. It's really, what you're having to walk through right now, it's really difficult. You don't have to explain why this is happening because, quite frankly, you don't know. In a situation like Job, for example, the, the best advice Job's counselors did was to be quiet as they, they just walked with him and prayed and that sort of thing. When they started opening their mouth is when things went sideways. But there is a time in which we appropriate And give counsel okay we have to speak but we need to gain information first what would have been something that would have been appropriate is how to understand suffering in their myopic sort of way of thinking job's counselors thought this this problem has to be because of something you did job when in reality they weren't privy to the first two chapters like you and i are there was a very different reality to that right And, and so sometimes in those moments we sit we listen we pay attention quietly But then as I understand a little bit more what's going on, maybe it is for issues of suffering, no personal sin that was involved in, in that person and consequences that they're enduring now because of that, is now I shift into the mode of how do I help them to understand this is a stewardship in relation to God in terms of suffering and how they suffer. And so there's a way in which I care for them, taking their situation and rooting it in the way in which God sees and understands the world and now the beauty of the usefulness of something like suffering in the life of a believer. Because what that does is now that pushes our hearts and minds in the way Paul does in Romans chapter five toward a hope that the Bible says does not put us to shame. Or as James tells us, it's building within us an endurance and a perseverance. Or the way Paul talks about this in second Corinthians chapter one, where we can be comforted by the glory of who God is so that then we can be useful to comfort others. There's a distinction in the way in which we handle those situations, but intensive questions are we don't have to be afraid to talk about uh, these types of difficult situations in life. You understand that part of what makes us tender is because we have bought into a secular idea that life should be sanitary and that life ought to be perfect. When That's not the reality you live, and that's not the reality I live, and that's not the reality that the Bible describes in the Scripture is we live in a world that is radically broken and you're a part of that brokenness. In fact, I would argue that you contribute to that brokenness the same way that I do. And so we don't have to be tender about those types of things and to be able to ask in a way that's caring. Now, notice the way in which you're asking those questions is not out of uh, just simple curiosity. It's not out of nosiness. It's truly in a way that's caring and loving toward that person. how do, how do we do this? I, I do this in a couple of different ways. And, and the next, the series of 10 questions, there's, there are many, many, many more. Uh, this comes from David Pallison. and I just adapted a few of these questions and I think they're really important. I just, I wanted to put them on paper so that you could sort of see some of these types of questions. it are what he calls x-ray, x-ray questions. And I think they're important because I think the Bible makes very clear that you can't open up a person's heart and see what's in there, Okay. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is de- deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? We, we can't know the heart of another person. But we, we are given truths about the way in which a person lives, how they interact, the things that they say, the things that they do, the ways that they emote, those sorts of things. It, it reveals a little bit of what's underneath. And there are ways that we can ask questions accordingly, According to the way God has made man, that helps us to draw out some of those deep things in the heart of a man. That demonstrates that we have understanding about God's world, and we have understanding about the people that God has made and how we interact. We don't have to be afraid of those designs of how God has made us. Let's start with a couple of questions, and these are, I think, really important. I think you'll get what I'm trying to uh, to aim at here. Is it's important to pay attention? You, you, you may not just overtly say what. what tell me again what you love and what you hate, right? All right? That's mechanical and super awkward, okay? It's like, just live life with them. And as you live life with them, guess what you're gonna be able to see? You're gonna see where they devote their time, where they devote their effort, what they probably talk about most at that moment is demonstrating what they love and what they hate, right? I come home every night because I love my wife, right? What, what do I devote myself to throughout a day? My attention is toward her. It demonstrates that I love her and not someone else. Do you see? So when you pay attention to different issues in life, it reveals what a person loves and what they hate. And often what we hate is demonstrated by what we fear. We hate that happening. We don't want that to happen. So we do whatever we can to avoid it to such a degree. It reveals the things that we fear. And these are important things, Because these are the things at base that Jesus says. He says, when you've been captured by me, John 13, 35, that people out there will know you're my disciples by the way in which you love one another. Even the the two greatest commandments as Jesus boils them down in Matthew 22, 37, and 39. Tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is at base of who we are and it reveals something to be true about us. Matthew 6, 21 that it, tell, it reveals what we treasure, what we love most. What is it that a person loves or hates? I would ask that question to you. What is it that you love most? What is it that you hate? And, and maybe you're having a hard time sorting that out. But I guarantee if you slow life down for a moment and you start to pay attention to what you give mental attention to or what you, you, know, what you uh, spend most money on or what you give your time to, it'll start to reveal the things that you genuinely love, the things that you talk about most. Another question is what are your goals and expectations? What is it that you're truly seeking? What do you expect to happen when this problem is going on? what are your goals? what do you want to come out of this right in the end uh, A lot of people when they misinterpret romans 828 right God works all things together for good those who love him called according to his purpose, they want to define good on their own terms and they're like, okay God if if you're bringing about good, you're going to repay me sevenfold then then okay I can endure this that, that's that's not a healthy goal. It's a faulty expectation. The good is that he would conform us to the image of Christ. It starts to reveal a bit about who we are and what we truly love most. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of what? God. So even when suffering is happening, what, what does the Bible tell us to do? Fix your eyes on Christ, right? Because now we can begin to understand what he's doing uh, in a situation like that. Third question, uh, what have you tried to resolve the problem? This is a constant question that I ask. What, what have you tried as a solution? That tells me several things. It tells me how you understand the problem that you're in. It tells me what you think is broken with your life. And then it also tells me what you're seeking for salvation or for solution. Does that make sense? And if we think about that according to Scripture, that's revealing something about us. What our expectations are? How we define something that's broken within us? Is that consistent with the way God describes the brokenness that's truly in us? And are we seeking the thing for solution that God says is the ultimate solution? Because not all the solutions are imminent to us, biblically speaking. In fact, the majority of the time in the New Testament, what we see is the solutions that we ought to be seeking is what we're longing for eternally. It's what I call eschatological hope where Paul says in Titus 2.13, I long for the glorious appearing of Christ, and I guarantee you in his suffering, he would proclaim to you that he's longing for it all the more. He's not looking just for something imminent or immediate. Of course, yes, if he can you know, flee persecution and that sort of thing, that's great. That's not the point. The point is his eyes were always fixed on what God would do, and that was settled. That's the biblical idea of true and legitimate hope. What have we tried to solve the problem? The scriptures tell us to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What is it that we're seeking? Are we seeking righteousness out of this? Are we seeking for God to refine us in this in some way? Are we seeking to try and uh, control the parts that we can control, which often in situations is very small? That controlling is God allow the word of God to control my heart in direction toward you. Because all these things out there, these circumstances, I can't control those. But oftentimes, our solution is we think if we can fix those external things, then we're free. You you see where that heart is now fixated? Is you are fearing those circumstances, you are fearing those things. And if you follow Solomon's logic, now what becomes your wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, I, I need to fix those problems out there because they're determining who I am or they're, they're making me the type of person that I am or when she says that or she acts that way, I can't help but respond this way. That person's now in control. So you follow Solomon's logic, Proverbs nine ten. It's the fear of that person now that becomes the beginning of your what? Wisdom. So now everything you do is in reaction to that person or that circumstance that you fear most and it's not driven by a worship to the one true God. Oh, it's worship, but it's not worship of God. And that's why the Bible boils these things down really in distinction to do you love God or do you have love and affection in an idolatrous way to lots of other gods, temporal things on the earth. And you and I do it just the same as the children of Israel did to some degree in the things that we love. What do you fear? You were created to fear, and we're going to talk about that in this series, but you were made to fear, right? We often think, well, what's the opposite of fear? We, we would immediately say peace, and peace is a byproduct. See, you were made to fear. When you fear other things, now you feel like you're in control, and it leads to anxious, anxious thoughts and worry and that sort of thing. But what does Jesus say? Don't fear the one who can destroy your body, And then what does he say? Well, just just be at peace, rest. No, no, what does he say? Do something active. Fear the one who can destroy your body and soul. And as you fear him, what happens? The byproduct is peace and rest for us because of what we now fear. Do you see that? So you have to start asking, what is it that I fear? What is it that I want most? Because probably what I fear is not getting that. Does that make sense? So you need to pay attention and and hear those things. Where do you find refuge and safety? Psalm 23 or Psalm 46. Where do you find refuge? If the Bible clearly proclaims that you were designed and made to find refuge and security, safety, and comfort in God, then it's a very valid question. What is it when problems uh, happen in your life? Where do you run for safety? Where do you run for comfort? Where do you run for security? Right? It could be a thousand things. It could be that person, it could be food. It could be that TV show. You're going to binge on Netflix or whatever. It could be a thousand things. But but that helps us to understand what it is that we're seeking. You weren't made for that. You were made to find refuge in God. And now you begin to see even the difficulties of life as a blessing. Why? Because now they make you run all the more in the same way that, that Paul talks about his weakness and that he can glory in his weakness because now it's at that place that he finds strength in Christ. Because it forces me to run to the true refuge, which is God. Um, no, I skipped one, number five. What do you think you need most? What is it that you think you need most? That can probably be corrected by some biblical truth. Number seven, what do you, uh, what would bring you the greatest pleasure or delight? Proverbs ten twenty eight says this, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Do we hope in Righteous things? Do we hope in good things? Is that what we seek above all? Whom do you seek to please? Do you seek to please the Lord above all things or do you seek to please people? I would argue that who we fear most is other people. We have fear of other people more than we fear anything else. And that often drives who we are. And we can pay attention to that. We can hear that. Uh, I'll, I'll finish there. You can read the rest of those. Pay attention to the pressures in life right? Your life is not always intense, but in those moments when it's intense, what are the things that bring pressure? Because that's going to often dictate what you value the most. You value that in those moments, it's going to dictate an identity about you, and you fear that. So pay attention to those pressures. David Powelson says this, these questions reveal functional gods. What or who actually controls their particular actions, thoughts, emotions, attitudes, memories, and anticipations. Note that functional gods in a particular situation, often stand diametrically opposed to the professed God. So if we were to bring all this around, that's what you're paying attention to, is as you interact with one another, you're listening for unbiblical thinking and learning to then correct it with biblical truth. That's the same thing that I tried to do with Will, is Will was not being deceitful in any way, he was being deceived. So the most loving thing that I could do is to interact with him to hear what he, the way in which he interprets the world because I know biblically if he continues to follow that pattern thinking he's the center of the universe, what's that going to lead to biblically speaking? Death and destruction which will dominate his life. And so as you interact with one another, these are the types of things that you're paying attention to. And I'll give you some themes, but we're going to pay attention to these last things in a couple of weeks. The patterns to to pay attention to, biblical categories that best describe a person, and then how we respond by the ways in which we either speak biblical truth or sometimes in in the ways in which we comfort, we're silent, however we we need to respond. So this should help us in a framework to, to understand who a person is based on the way God describes. And then learn to interact with the person paying attention to those things. Do that for you first. Become skilled in what you see coming out of you and describe it the way God describes it. And then be honest enough to say, is this a functional God that's replacing what the Bible says is true about about God? Are the things that I'm saying when I get in bad situations, are they accurate about the one true God? Is the way in which I'm responding emotionally, is it accurate and true based on does it does it tell the truth about what who god is that he is sovereign he's over all things and nothing happens outside of his watch are you accurately proclaiming the god that we profess we say we serve that's the distinction that starts to reveal the heart and it's only at that place that you can now deal with it appropriately and often that's in repentance that our hearts would be forced into repentance to respond to God appropriately, to confess the ways in which we saw God wrongly and we've seen ourselves uh, falsely before him and the the gods that we've been serving in place of him. And that begins to renew a relationship with the Lord where we walk full of the spirit and him producing the spirit, the fruit of the spirit in us, all the things that we want, that we try to achieve in our own love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wanna encourage you to pay attention, to listen well. It's never disconnected to theology because it's the way God made us. So pay attention to those things in the ways in which you interact. Can I encourage you to slow life down, to pay attention to to yourself, the way that you live, the things that you say, the things that you do, and then to pay attention to other people. Love them well enough to engage them with questions and uh, ask questions to hear, ask questions to listen, uh, to be compassionate toward them. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. Thank you for your kindness, your love, your mercy, and grace that's so evident. We're so grateful for your word that gives us a framework that which we can see and understand. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a fear of you. I pray that you would grow that fear of you more and more and more so that we're not deceived by uh, the things of the world, that we can see according to your ways and respond with wisdom and care and kindness in our own life and toward each other. May it be so in Christ's name. Amen.